Good morning, Lake Avenue Church. My name is Alan Tussey, and I am currently serving on your 2019 nominating committee. And I want to publicly thank God and all of you for putting me there because it's been a tremendous blessing. If you're not sure where we are in the nominating process, there's a half sheet in your worship folder, and it'll catch you up to speed. For those of you that were here last week, you'll recall that the sermon was based on a passage from Mark chapter 8, Jesus' transfiguration. And at the end of his message, Pastor Waybright sent us home with a homework assignment to read the remainder of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 on our own, on our own and, and come today equipped to study a passage in chapter 10 of Mark. Now, this passage is very well known. Uh, in, in it, Jesus is talking with his disciples and with a rich young ruler about eternal life and the kingdom of God. So let's take a look at that now. Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, 
eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Almost every human being in this world longs for eternal life. I think I'd even put it this way. I think everybody in this world is looking for eternal life. Now, before anybody might disagree with me there, I better explain to you by what I mean by eternal life. Um, by, by that, I don't mean that eternal life is just life that goes on and on and on and on, just as it is right now. Those who have received eternal life the Bible lets us know eternal life is eternal. Yeah, it does go on and on, but it's more than that. Uh, what I mean by eternal life is, is basically what the Bible means by eternal life, so I better try to tell you what that is. Eternal life is life as our creator intended life to be. It's life that, that we say that's, that's the way it is good, that's the way it should be. Uh, eternal life is what sometimes I hear people when they talk with me use the word happiness for it. When they say, uh, well, I'm not, something is making me so I, I'm not happy, usually they, they know something's missing. And what they're really longing for is this eternal life. So anytime you sense that moment when something is just missing in your life or, or something is not quite the way it should be, what you have in your heart is a longing for eternal life. Well, let me tell you today, eternal life is something that only an eternal God can give. So today what we're going to do, and you've already heard it as Alan read to us, we're going to read about a man in the Bible who wanted eternal life, and he wanted it badly, and he thought that maybe Jesus would be the one who could help him to find it. Did, did you notice in verse 17 how he approached Jesus? We read, a man ran up to Jesus. He fell on his knees in front of him. You can almost feel him begging, good teacher, he says. What must I do to have eternal life? It's evident for me when I read through the whole of this story that he'd tried a number of things to find that life as it's supposed to be. He'd obviously tried religion. I, I think if he'd grown up in our day, he would have been showing up at church every week and youth group every week. He would try doing everything that, that his parents, who were godly people, probably had told him to do everything his priest told him to do, but still doing all that stuff left him feeling that there was something more to be found. Now, but what I want to focus on mostly, and I know you, you know I'm going to focus on this today, is that he seemed to think that he should be finding more fulfillment. He should have been finding more of this life in the wealth and the success that he had. Because, I mean, let, let's face it. Those who have some money, you can do a lot of things with money. You can, um, you can go out and, and experience great things, go to great restaurants. You can have, usually if you have enough, a lot of prestige and privilege and influence. So this young man had all of those things. You see it? But something was still missing. He was looking for eternal life. I, I, I just got to stop right now. Can you relate at all to him? Have you ever had any moments in, that, in your life like that? We call him the rich young ruler. That's how he's usually known in church, right? And the reason is because Matthew 19 tells us that he was young, and Luke 18 tells us that he was a ruler. 
So I, I tell you, I'm already worried about this. I can imagine some of you saying, oh, good, Pastor Greg, I don't have to listen to this sermon because I'm not all that rich and I'm not quite as young as I used to be and I'm surely not a ruler. It doesn't have anything to say to me. I just want to say to you, if you think that, beware. Th this is a passage that seems to have spoken directly and convictingly and personally to everyone, everywhere, throughout the history of the church. And I'm just praying you'll have ears to hear, eyes to see, because I think it has says something to you. It has to me all week, because what we find in this text is everything we have thought about in this series so far about Jesus turning his face toward Jerusalem and heading toward that place where he's going to die, all that comes together in this text and applies it to real life. We see how this matter of seeing Jesus as he is, listening to him as the one God, denying ourselves and following him, all these things we've been thinking about for weeks, really is played out in everyday life. So here's what I want to do. I'll just let Mark's gospel sort of lead us through it, okay? We'll let him walk us through it. And with the same categories that I had last week, with see, are we seeing, understand, are we understanding what we're seeing, and then respond to it if we do. So see. And I want to start with what I'm calling this banter about Jesus being good. And the real question that Jesus is asking you and asking this young man is, do you see who Jesus is. Good teacher, the man said. Why do you call me good, Jesus replied. No one is good except God alone. Now, I know that when you read this thing, good teacher, you, at first glance, it just seems like a throwaway phrase. It's kind of like a kind sir. You, know, you just want to have some friendly way to begin the thing. But it, do you see it? Jesus saw it as an opening an opening to probe how much this man was seeing all along the way. Who do people say I am? Who do you think that I am? What did this mean, man mean when he called Jesus good? I mean, I, I wondered, could this young man be seeing something more about Jesus than even these disciples who had been with Jesus for three years. Is it possible that somebody could show up at church today for the first time at Lake Avenue and see more than maybe somebody who's been coming here for 60, 70 years? Do you think that's possible? You need to know. The answer is yes. Just, I'll answer it for myself. In Jewish writings, there are no examples of any rabbi being called good so the question you've got to say is, did this enthusiastic young man know that Jesus was the one and only Son of God? When Jesus stops to ask him, why are you calling me good? He is, he is forcing this young man to come to grips with what he's just said. So you see, it, it's not just banter. It's not just small talk that's going on here. Jesus was getting at the most important question that this young man would ever have to ask and the most in question, uh, question for us too. Do you really see who I am? Do you understand that I truly am the only one who can give you this eternal life that you long for so much? So with that in mind, Let's see if this young man has seen. Let's see if he understands the implications of meeting this one whom he has just called good. So to the point, understand. This issue of keeping the law that Jesus gets at, 
then the question is this. Do you understand that gods can keep you from God? Do you understand that gods or idols might keep you from God? So here's what Jesus said. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he said, all these I have kept since I was a boy. You see, even before Jesus waited for him to answer that question about why are you calling me good, Jesus jumps right in and asks about the Ten Commandments because, and you need to know this, according to his scriptures that this young man had, had been studying and reading and going to synagogue for, according to the scriptures, the Ten Commandments weren't just a set of rules. They were actually giving us the way that God had created us to live. They're the basic moral imperatives or, or commands that come out of the very character of God. And when they were given, the, the, the idea was this, that if you look in Deuteronomy 5.33, they were given so that it may go well with us. In other words, that we would live as God created us to live. They're sort of the foundations for all the ways that God would have us to live. And so the whole thought was, if you really live this way, you should be finding that eternal life that you want. Now, I, I want you to notice that the commands that Jesus picks out to ask him about are just on the sec what's called the second table, the second part of the Ten Commandments, just the ones about how we treat people. That you can look at him, that's, those are the ones he asks about. And it might be surprising to you that so quickly, the, boy, the young man says, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus didn't correct him. I, I asked myself about this. Do I think this young man was claiming absolute perfection? He'd, he'd never met. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think this is how I read him. I think this young man was probably sincere when he had said that he had sought to keep all of these commands. You know, I, I stop and think he's, he's a lot like people who've grown up here at Lake Avenue Church. Mark Portis was one. I just found out today. <laughs> Jeremy Rose is one. Many of you are there. You come to church. You hear your pastor, you know, preach the sermon, and you go to your Sunday school class and hear this is how you're supposed to live. And do all, you hear your parents say this is how we want you to live. And he was really the good boy. <laughs> He'd really tried to do that. Uh, I think I was one of those. I tried to do that, though in my heart I was often rebellious. My brother just did it right out front. He was just transparent and honest. But I see him. He was a man who tried to live a, a good life. And I think even as he'd gotten to be a bit older and he'd inherited probably all the money from his family, he was probably a kind and generous boss. I, I, I imagine that he cared for the poor like the, the Bible calls him to. But I'll tell you, doing all that, working hard, trying to be the good boy, keep all the rules, had still left him knowing that something was missing in his life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So you, you gotta, you're with me, right? You've got to listen really carefully right now. I want you to notice that the commands that Jesus did not mention all have to do with our relationship to God. The first four commands of the Ten Commandments all have to do with how we relate to God, and the first one is foundational for all the others. If we don't start with that one, the rest of them will do nothing for us. And do you know what the first commandment is? You do, some of you know, you shall have no other gods 
before me, to my face, in my place. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're going to have this life to the full, you're not going to find it if you put anything in this world into the place that God alone can be, into your heart, into your affections. Just keeping all the other laws or will not bring you the life that God has made you for. God must be first. So you see it now when you put this together. See, will this man see the implication of what he's just said, that Jesus is good and nobody is good except God? Will he see that? Will he understand that when Jesus calls him to do something, he would be hearing the call of God upon his life? Or was there another God in his heart? Respond. See, understand, respond. The biggest decision in life. Will you obediently trust Jesus and in him, following him, Find the life that God made you for. Find the life that you seek from your heart. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, Jesus said. Verse 21. Now, that word lack, one thing you lack, the word really meant, the word that Jesus would have used, really meant weighed down. One thing is in your heart that's keeping you weighed down to this world and to real living. In other words, Jesus here is looking into this man's inner being to find out what is first in his heart. And he saw there was something in that heart that was weighing him down, that kept him from heaven, that kept him from eternal life. So Jesus essentially says, I see what's weighing you down. I see what's keeping you from this life that you've rushed up and fallen on your knees and asked me if I can tell you about it. Here's how you can find it. I will tell you. Go, sell everything that you have, give to the poor. Then you're going to have that treasure in heaven. Then you come and follow me. All of this is saying that's when you really will start to fly. <laughs> You'll start to live. I hope you, you see when I talk about this. This was a life-changing decision. I mean, Jesus was telling him to get rid of all the wealth he had. And you know what that includes, all the things that wealth can buy, all the golf and social clubs that money could give him entrance into, all those relationships where people would just try to hang around him because he was successful. This was a choice, I hope you, of who or what was going to be first in his heart, who or what would be his God. I mean. If he had trusted Jesus, I'm so convinced this man on one side would have jeopardized all that influence and reputation and power and prestige that his wealth had afforded him. But if this man had listened to Jesus and really followed Jesus, even though it would have, have affected his relationship to his family, can't you imagine? To his friends, status in the community and the entire way of life, I tell you, Following Jesus would still have been the way he would have found the life that he sought. Do you, do you believe that? I don't want you to miss the opening phrase in verse 21. If you have a Bible in front of you, I, I don't want you to miss it. And Jesus loved him. That means, young man, 
I love you, and there is more for you in life than just keeping a bunch of rules. Young man, I love you, and I have more for you, if you will follow me, than all the things your possessions can bring to you. You have to trust me, get rid of that, get rid of that weight, follow me. I just have to declare this to you because I just hear it so often. People think about if I really followed Jesus, it would ruin my life. If it's just think if Jesus died on the cross so he'd mess up my life, Jesus is not so foolish, right? If this man would have followed Jesus and done what he said, he would have found the life that he desired. But you know what happened. Mark describes it so movingly, verse 22. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad, mark that word, because he had great wealth. That word sad was a very strong word. It would have better been a word grieving. It, it, it's, it's what you feel when, when there's something really dear to your heart has been lost. You've lost the loved ones, you know. It's the word that was used of Jesus when he, he sweat, sweat drops of blood knowing he'd have to be separated from his father while he was bearing our sins on the cross. He grieved, he knew what he was giving up and yet still he went away because of that weight in his heart. He had another idol, his great wealth. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I see something in your heart that really is a God. It's an idol. And if you're going to have the life that God gives you, you have to get that out and put him in. But it was too much. He gained the whole world and lost his soul. Now, does this say anything to us? I tell you, I've been convicted all week. Uh, it, it really tells us to identify what is it in this world that might compete with God for the affection of your heart. I've talked about this text. You know, I did my dissertation in, in the Gospel of Mark. This was the main text I worked on. So every time I've talked about it, it always brings up questions. I'll, I'll just take two of them that usually come up. Does everyone, Pastor Greg, have to give up every possession in order to have eternal life? Any of you asking that? No, I don't have to answer it then. No. I know, you're hoping I'm gonna say no, aren't you? You're hoping I'm gonna say no. Well, then, then your hopes will be fulfilled. Um, because when you read the whole of the Gospel of Mark and read the Bible, the, clear, the answer is clearly no. In the Gospel of Mark, there were others, like a man in Mark chapter five, uh, who wanted to leave everything behind and go on the mission with Jesus, but Jesus sent him right back into his home. There were some, like the apostles, who had to leave home to carry the gospel on the mission, and sometimes they wouldn't even have a, a cup of water, and there were others who were left with a cup of cold water that were supposed to give it to them. Do you see it? There, is, there are a number of those kinds of texts here. But I tell you, having said that, even though Jesus does not call every human being to give up all of our possessions, he does say this, that whatever has become first in your heart and in any way competes with the only one who can be first, must be surrendered to God in your life. See, and uh, if you're gonna have eternal life, you, you must give up those idols. And I tell you, don't you feel what becomes idols in our lives? You need to make Jesus the Lord of your life and follow him, whatever it means, whatever you give up and wherever he takes you. 
Second question that's so often asked is, does this apply only to the rich? <laughs> and then you have to ask, how rich do we have to be for this to apply to us, right? <laughs> and I, again, I'll tell you, no. This really came home to me. You know, when I was a university president, the dean of our seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, was Dr. Titinu. He'd grown up in a tribal community in Burkina Faso, and I was going to be talking about this in chapel, and we were having our meeting before I went in, and he had just come back from a trip to West Africa, and he told me what he saw in the church. It was growing so rapidly. The churches were full, and he said, yet the main reason why he sees people coming into the church is that they had been taught this health and wealth gospel that uh, if you just come to this church and you give us everything you do have now, God will have to give you so much more. And so the real, they were not coming there to surrender to God, he says. He said they were coming there to see if they could get the deity somehow to give them their real God, which was wealth. So uh, you see it. You, you can have as the first thing in your affections, money if you have it, and you can have it if you just want it. So I wrote this down for you. Possessions can weigh you down, whether you have them or whether you covet them. So I, there's a point that I want to summarize that applies to us all. Those very things that we put at the center of our lives in order to make us happy, and I'll just say that can be anything. I've got to have her, I have to have him, I have to do that to, to make me happy they will always end up taking real happiness away. Instead of them giving you life to the full, it will keep you from it. All right. Here with Fuller still with us and Caltech so close by and JPL NASA, that, that idol could be an academic degree. I like to put it behind my name, Waybright, PhD. Should make life should make life full, to the full. It, it could be if you're an athlete, work so hard to be successful, and uh, even if you win that race, you say there's got to be something more than that. And, and the big one right now is, now that I'm getting to the age I'm in, you've got to have a bucket list of those things you really have to do before you're gone so you can find life. I've just got to tell you this, you can do all the stuff on that bucket list, and if you do not have Jesus at the center of your heart, you're still going to be missing real life. That's the message of this text. So then there's this postscript, verses 28 to 31. I've got to look at that. It's the most ignored part of the story of the rich young ruler. Usually people just ignore it. And here's what I think it's saying to us, that God provides. God provides. Often he does it right through his children. So here's what Jesus says, verse 30. There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold, and he has another list, now, in this time. I don't know why, but he throws in this word, with persecution. Okay, in this, this text, this, this young man leaves and Peter and the disciples are shocked. Do you know why they're shocked? It's because they had given up so much to come follow Jesus, and sometimes they didn't even have a place to lay their heads, but they thought that just shortly when he goes into Jerusalem, he's going to set up his powerful kingdom, and they're going to get to have all that power and prestige <laughs> and all those things that he had. But wait a minute, they say. That, that's what we're going to become, isn't it, when we 
follow you to Jerusalem? Like, how can he not, how can he not have the, who can be saved? Who can have this real life if he doesn't? Because after all, I mean, it's not just that he has power and prestige and, and authority like we want. He, he's also religious. He tries to keep all, <laughs> he also goes to Lake Avenue Church. That's everything, you know. And Jesus says, don't you know, uh, it's virtually impossible for successful rich people to enter the kingdom of God. It's because it's hard to make anybody else our king. And, and, and we have to do that. And he says, yes, it's, it's as hard as trying to get a camel through the eye of a needle, which isn't all that easy. Uh, but the beautiful thing is, even if you're really successful and, and God has blessed you financially, there's hope for you too. What's impossible for others, it is possible with God. But now, of the many things I could say about this postscript, there's one that I just have to talk to you about, and that is this that obeying Jesus would have left this young man destitute. He would have sold and gotten rid of his home. He would have had no bank account, no savings, no resources to finance his children's education or to get them into the very best university somehow by bribing the soccer coach or however else, however else. Do you see how relevant this is? Do you just see how this is like us? No health insurance, no, no retirement plan. Almost certainly he would have been the object of scorn of his family. Can you imagine his family? Well, I worked my, his dad, I worked my whole life to leave that with you and you give it all away. Can you imagine? And of all of his friends, how would he even survive? I want to show you something here that is so powerful. Remember Jesus loved him and he wasn't going to ruin his life. He's going to provide and he, Jesus had a plan. Jesus does not want to devastate our lives. He wants to give us life. So I want to see that. The disciples say, we have done what he didn't do. And Jesus turns to them and says, but you aren't going to be left without anything. On one side, he gives this great eternal promise. He, he will say, uh, in the age to come, you're going to have eternal life. So it may be hard here, but someday, you know, it's, it's going to be good. And we hold on to that, don't we? But the problem is we still have to live now. Amen. <laughs> And how is he going to live in the here and now? And how are they going to do that? And so Jesus gives them this wonderful news in verses 29 and 30. Uh, he says, you will be brought into 100-fold now in this time. So right now, uh, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. Uh, family talk from Jesus. Does that sound good to you? All of it? Part of it sounds good. I mean, a hundredfold houses and lands. I'm all in. What about a hundredfold mothers? What, what about a hundredfold children? What if you have four, 400 of them, and with persecutions? What is this about? I'm going to try to show it to you. You're going to have to do something with me. Some of you, I've been here 11 plus years. You already intuitively know where I'm going with this, but I want to show you those two, there are two lists what we might have to leave behind, and what we will receive when we follow him. So if we could put this list, the two lists. What you might leave following Jesus. House, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, and lands. We're gonna keep it up, see that? What you will gain. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with persecutions. Uh, look at that. What, what is in the second list? 
that is not in the first. With persecutions. Why is it there? It's the same thing I preached to you about last week. They were up on the top of the mountain to know that Jesus is God. When they came down from the mountain, they came down into the trouble again. He just wants us to know that he's still in the process of working things out. So when things are hard, when we have lost, when we've lost our jobs, when we, we, all these things that happen in this world, don't be surprised when it's not easy to be a Christian. And so Jesus always lets us know that, but he won't leave us alone. What then is in the... Um, first list that is not in the second. Yeah, you, I heard a couple of you. Um, father. Are you starting to see what he gets at? I'm gonna, when you come to me and you follow me, I'm gonna bring you into a family. And it's gonna be a big one. It's gonna be a global family made up of every tribe and language and nation. And just like in any good family with a good father, there's only one father. We're gonna watch out for one another, provide for one another. Because in this family of God, there is only one Father. And the Apostle Paul picks that up in Ephesians chapter three, verse 14. There was one Father before whom the entire family in heaven and on earth derives its names. Brothers and sisters, we are that. We are brothers and sisters, and we have one Father who directs the life of this family. I, I hope you see what he's saying that when you follow Jesus, then you obey his call, the call of God upon your life. And then when we do, that means if he tells us that something we have to give up, girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, possessions, whatever it may be, we do it, but he will not leave us alone. He, he will give us the spirit, which he would say later, but here in this text he says, I'll give you one another. Because in this world, until I come back again, there's going to be persecution and you're going to need one another. And there are going to be some I bring into the family that have to give up everything for whatever reason. For them, the reason I had to give it up was so that they could go on the mission and carry the gospel of Jesus where it had never been taken. I, I hope you see this. That God has different calls. Jesus has different calls upon our lives. There are some here that in your life, for whatever reason, you've come and there's just so little that you have. But I'm just telling you, look around you here, you have a brother or sister. We've gotta do life together. Those who don't have anything, we've gotta walk with you. Those who have more. We've gotta keep our eyes open for our brothers and sisters so that when they become a part of this family, they know they're gonna have a big family. I really hear more than a hundredfold mothers that we have here at Lake Avenue Church. Just, just look around you. So that's one thing he's saying. And we are to be involved in what Jesus is doing, sending out people where the gospel has never been heard. There are going to be some people we send out. They have to leave our church. They're going to have to leave home. There's some time, they'll have to leave their jobs to go out and carry the gospel to where Jesus wants you to go. But how are they going to fund that? We've got to be the ones who use what he's entrusted to us generously to give so that they will not be left alone. Are you with me here? So for those of us in church today who've been blessed with possessions, know this. They're dangerous. Yeah, thank God for them in one sense. They're dangerous. Oh, they can weigh down your soul. They can be the one thing you obsess about. They can keep you from God, but they can be used to further the kingdom of God. Part of the privilege of those who have been left with finances 
is the blessing of coming to God and asking, Lord, these are just temporary things. How can I use what you've entrusted to me to bless my brothers and sisters in church, those you are bringing into Lake Avenue Church, and to send out the gospel through those who have been called to leave home to do so. So that's the message for those who have come today who have those deep needs of finances. You don't know where the next meal will come from. At the end of the service, I'll tell you a little bit about how we try to really live out this text here and be a family to one another. But before we do, I want us to come to what the Bible calls our family table. What, what a perfect day to do it. Do you know in, in 1 Corinthians 11, 33, that's exactly what Paul would call it. He would say that uh, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together because this is a family meal. It's in 1 Corinthians 11. I hope you'll read it when you go home. That'll be my assignment this week, Alan. Read that when you go home. And what you're gonna see what happened is that the church in Corinth hadn't heard the words of Jesus clearly enough. And so it, in, in their communion, those who were uh, wealthy, they liked to eat only with those who were wealthy, so they would have it, their meals at home and, and, uh, and leave everybody else out. And, and the apostle Paul says, do you think that I should have any praise for you for doing this? Absolutely not, he said. <laughs> You're not being the family that Jesus gave his life for you to be. But this is th then what he wrote. And as we get ready for communion, hear his words. I received from the Lord what I pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And it's a plural there. It is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup, it's a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I, don't you think this is a perfect morning for us to share communion together? What I would like you to do is sort of out of the periphery of your eyes, look for the people who are here, and maybe even as people come forward, see who your brothers and sisters are, Pray God would open up your lives and your heart to see uh, the needs of those who may be here, your brothers and sisters, and open up your hearts to be generous if you have the ability to, to extend yourself to meet those in so many ways. Um, so, as our stewards are coming to the tables, we're gonna be having our gluten-free table to my far right to your left. Um, we have tables in the middle and tables up in the balcony as well. What we do in our church if you're visiting is this. This is the Lord's table. So even if this isn't your particular local church, if you belong to the Lord through faith in Jesus, then this table is for you. Come and celebrate with your extended family here today. And the way we do it here is you come out, you receive the elements, you take them back, both the cup and the bread, to the where, where you are sitting. If for any reason, you can't get out from where you are. Our stewards will bring them out to you and they will hand them to you. And then I will come back up and we will all receive it together as one family. Let me lead us in prayer as we get ready. So Father, I pray that just as you have viewed this word to give life to so many people, to pull us away from those things weighing down our hearts and souls 
and to resurrender of all that we are and have to you and finding life, finding life in the one who alone is good in Jesus. I pray that today we might make that decision, a recommitment, perhaps even for some a first commitment, the following Jesus, whatever that might mean, wherever that might lead. Draw us together as a family. Further your work in our lives as individuals. For this we pray as we get ready to remember in the name of Jesus. Amen.